I had a biblical counselor lady write in with an intriguing question that has so many layers to it. I'm going to share with you the full question of what she asked. I'll just give you the part of it now. I'll introduce the podcast, and then I'll give you the rest of what she asked. But this is so good because this is a struggle that is applicable to to all of us, all of us who want things. We have desires that we want. They don't happen. We struggle with them. Sometimes we over-guilt ourselves because they won't go away. And so let me read to you what she asked, and then again, we'll get more into it in just a moment. But she says, how do I see Christ as so glorious that meeting my own needs fade? How do I help someone else put their needs in perspective? In my big hurts, I have tried meditating on Christ and his presence. It does help. But there are moments where the sadness descends and there, there, there doesn't seem that I, I can do much about it, but let it pass. Am I wrong? Will you help me understand this tension? Isn't that an awesome question, a series of questions? Now, what I have done, I have flattened this out because there are names that she mentions, and so I won't mention her name, and I won't mention the, the folks that, that she is referencing, and so I wanted to flatten it out because that's not really the point anyway. The point is what she is asking, and I trust this will be beneficial to you. Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. This is episode 230, the title of the podcast, and also the show notes. Everything that I'm going to share with you is written out for you, and because it's that important. I want you to, to listen to what I have to say, but I'm sure some of you will want to slow it down a little bit and read it. And so all that I'm going to share with you is written out, and I would love for you to read episode 230. Here's the title, When the Intergracious, When the Intergracionist and the Biblical Counselor Are Right. Isn't that a spiffy title? Because here's the problem. The person is reading the work of an integrationist, and it's compelling. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, she's right. The integrationist is right on that point. Now, some of my biblical counseling bros are going to blow a head gasket at this point because they're, they're so dogmatic that the only people in the world that could possibly be right are biblical counselors, and so they will probably fall all over themselves getting to their social media platform so that they can blast me. And that's sad, but, you know, whatever, I, I can't. I can't, you can't stop ignorance, you know, and, and so I want you, it is a good title, and, and uh, admittedly, the perverse side of me did enjoy creating this title, but the title is very honest, and, and it is a real tension that this lady is identifying, and it'll make sense to you, and again, if you want to, I trust it'll make sense to you, and if you want to read this, please do. Episode 230, when the integrationist and biblical counselor, they are right. All right, and I'm going to share with you what our supporting member said. And again, I flattened it out. I've edited it also uh, for the show notes so that the grammar is close to, to accurate, and so it, it also reads well. But this is essentially what uh, she was asking me. She said, I'm currently reading a book from a 
a historical integrationist for theology and secular psychology class. I'd like to know what you think about this person's view on need theory. We're talking about needs now. In fact, uh, the, the, the argument's going to be here, need versus desires. And for those of you who have any familiarity with biblical counseling, you know that that, is a, that that in itself is a historical tension. And so this lady is reading part of her class, and good for her and good for that class that she has to read a book from an historical integrationist. And so she's, she says, I'd like to know what you think about this person's view on need theory, and is there any place for it in counseling? My biblical counselor instructor says the integrationist believes in a hollow core inside of, of each of us and the importance of human relationships and our longings for them. And so the integrationist says that we have true needs or, or true desires that are inside of us because of the hollowness that's inside of us. And she says, I, I don't know what I think about needs and how that should inform my counseling. This class is my last in theory, and I have started my practical counseling. I have to write a paper shortly about this integrationist, and, and I was trying to cover all my bases. I am mostly through the book, and, and a lot of what the integrationist says makes sense. How about that? He says that Christians can't expect to not hurt on this earth. You want to argue that point? <laughs> the, the integrationist is right, right there. You, you can't expect to not hurt on this earth. And that although we can experience fullness with God in some measure, our main hope has to be in heaven. This integrationist doesn't have an over-realized eschatology, meaning that you're going to be perfect in this life. No, he, he's very much aware uh, that, that we will not experience this kind of fullness in God in full measure until we get to heaven. The lady continues to write, My biblical counselor says, The answer is first to allow God to break our selfish desires and to teach us what it means to fear Him alone. That is also correct. The quote continues, So the question is not, where can I find my worth, but why am I so concerned about myself? The problem is not, the biblical counselor uh, professor says, how can God fill my needs? That's not the problem. It is, how can Christ be seen as so glorious that I forget about my perceived needs? Now, let me also state that, that I'm, I'm t this lady is giving me quotes in a vacuum, meaning there's not context here. And I'm sure that if there was fuller context, this biblical counselor professor would have explained more. But within a vacuum, I hope that you could see that what the biblical counseling counselor is saying is, is, is problematic. He, he is saying how what we want to see is how Christ can be seen as so glorious that I forget about my perceived needs. And, and I would say the truth is that day is never going to be realized in this life, and this is what the lady is asking me on our forums. And so she finishes her question by saying, So, I do agree with the integrationist when he says that, that we will not escape pain and suffering in this life, I agree with that as well. And she says, I see that all over the Bible too. I'm glad you do. You have common sense. 
She says, I'm just not sure how his take on needs fit with any biblical perspective. Now, that is what she wrote. That is what she's asking. And that's why I said or why I titled this episode when the integrationist and biblical counselor are right. Now, what I want to do for the remainder of this podcast, and again, you can read it, but I'm going to share with you what I shared with her. Now, now, part of the problem here is that when you try to fit dogmatism into a tight box and you exclude every human being who, who doesn't agree lockstep within your box, you're going to have problems and you're going to have tension. And so I appreciate this lady's humility that, that she has enough self-awareness and enough biblical awareness to realize there's something here uh, that I've got to interact with. And fortunately, her insecurities, uh, her fear of man, her, her the peer pressure, because biblical counselors, many of them do live in a lot of fear of man. That m- many of them struggle with this legalism because they are afraid to think outside of the accepted norms. But this lady is exploring that, and I appreciate that. And so far, my first point to her is to guard against dogmatism. And so I say to her that your question is complicated. And it most certainly is. But only so if a person tries to make your biblical counselor professor's quote as the only right answer. His quote is correct in theory, but not in real life as a standalone only option without caveat or engagement because of the diversity that we see in human complexity and suffering. He's given a theoretical answer in a classroom, but where she is struggling is she is thinking also outside of the classroom to where there are some things that we desire, and to put them on the shelf and to pretend that they aren't real, it can complicate your life, and it can twist up your soul. It's like saying, for example, that medication is not the answer for a person struggling with fear. Let's say that the med assessment is correct for the sake of this podcast, that medication is not the right answer for a person struggling with fear. Right, let's just say that's correct with no footnote, no caveat, caveat, no exception. But does that fit real life? And if you have an absolute no medication for a person struggling with fear, with no caveat, no footnote, footnote no exception, Does that fit in real life? And that's where this lady is struggling. In theory, maybe I could sign off on that, but does it fit in real life? And so part of the problem is the faith conundrum, meaning what a person believes, meaning what your counselee believes about medication, that, is, that your counselee who believes medication is good for fear with no exceptions, that's a faith conundrum, meaning the person believes that med, medication, is the answer for what is wrong with them, and they will balk at any suggestion that they are misbelieving. Now, if you've counseled a lot, you've run into this. And that's where you want to guard against dogmatism, and thus what you have to do. In practice, we're not in the classroom anymore. We're in real life, let's say, in a counseling office. And you come in with your dogmatism that medication is out for all answers, all solutions, without caring for the soul, 
Now, what you have to do is you have to walk them back to a better worldview on thinking about problems. And part of that answer is is what your biblical counselor said. There must be more to it than that. There must be more to it than just having a dogmatic response. Another example of this idea of real life versus theory is the mother with a gay child who could beat herself up because Christ is not all my all in this moment because I don't want my child to be this way. This is my desire, and this desire is controlling me, and I know that Christ should be my all in all. Could you see how a person could beat themselves up because they have a, a gay child and, and, and this, they're struggling with this? Well, you know, that shouldn't be a need and that shouldn't be controlling you. No, in real world practice, the absolute right answer may be correct in the classroom, but not so much in the counseling office. And it could be unkind to suggest that Christ should be your all in all without discerning the person listening to that kind of advice. One of the mistakes that some biblical counselors make is giving the ultimate right answer without discerning the starting place of the person that they are helping. This is foolish in most instances. It's unwise. Sometimes it can really be harsh and unkind. In nearly every case, you have to find the correct starting point of the person that you are talking to. And if you try to map classroom theory over every person without customizing your care of that person, you have to find out where they are and begin the process of walking with them, alongside them, to a better way of thinking and behaving, which means in this instance the integrationist is making a good point too. The biblical counselor is making a good theoretical point, and the integrationist is making a good practical counseling point. And so this lady's intuition actually affirms There's something about it, the integrationist viewpoint, that does sound correct. And you know what? She just may be correct. A second issue here is that there will always be an interplay of tension between what Christ should be to me and my desires in a fallen body. Let's be realistic here. We will never see the day, not in this life, when our motives are purely pure. Part of us will always try to subvert our Christocentric lives and hopes. And honestly, I don't have a debilitating issue with this. I could say I don't have an issue with this. I I, I do have a tension here because I I, I know that that sometimes I can struggle with this, but it's not debilitating. I've I've worked through this, this, this idea that I can't be perfect in my motives all the time. And so I don't have a debilitating issue with this since it would be unwise to kick too hard against reality since it won't change. And the reality is, is that there will always be an interplay of tension between what Christ should be and what my desires are in a fallen body. Some folks do strain too hard as though they can change every impure motive that they have, that becomes a debilitating issue. I don't do that. I used to do that. But I've had to wrestle with the things that this lady is addressing here. And I came out the other end with more rational thinking and more rational living. 
The problem where this really happens is with overthinkers. Now, I'm an overthinker. I have a processor that runs 24-7, and I have a hard time cutting it off. Overthinkers will overworry about impure motives, and they will get into the delicate hairs of their fallenness that still have life in their fallen bodies. I would say, based on what this lady is saying here, that the biblical counselor and the integrationist, both of them are correct. Now, I realize there is much more context that surrounds the quote from the biblical counselor and the reference that she is making from the integrationist. But based on what she said, the biblical counselor is correct. In theory, Christ should be your all in all. The integrationist is correct that there are desires or needs or however you want to, in whatever semantical take you want to go with that, that they are in, in us because we are fallen people. My point is that, that, that our desires for godly children, our desire, let's say you're a parent and you have a desire for a godly child, Let's say you have a desire for a purer life. Let's say that you have a desire to be free from all fear and any other thing that you dislike about yourself, anything, any other thing that you dislike about your friends, any other thing that you dis- dislike about this world. All of those things, to some degree, are going to be with you forever in this life. Now, the goal is for us... What we want to do is we want to shrink these desires over time. But you have to realize that there will be a residue of fallenness. And that residue of fallenness inside of you, it will follow you into the ground. And and so for me, it's not about getting rid of every single desire, impure motive that I possibly can. That's overthinking, and that's getting into a granular level of your soul that will put you in bondage. No, a better way to think about that is about priorities, as in 1A and 1B. What is 1A and what is 1B? The question I am asking is whether or not Christ is preeminent in your heart. That's 1A. That reality must be the most dominant. And I'm asking if if my desires or if your desires have more power over you than your hope in Christ. That's really where you want to land on this. It's about priorities, not about trying to vanquish and defeat every impure motive you ever had and ever will have. Honestly, that's foolish. It's about priorities. Who is What is most dominant in your life? Is Christ most preeminent in your heart? You don't want to overthink impure motives as in thinking that you will get rid of them. But are they in check? Does Christ mean more to you? You have to come to terms with living in an 18% gray world. That's a photography term. It's somewhere between black and white. Rather than, you're not going to live in an all-white world, and you're not going to live in an all-black world. You're not going to be purely pure, and, you're not, and, and God willing, you're not going to be just given over to impure thoughts. What I look for in a person is, is their hope in Christ. Is their hope in Christ progressing in purity until the day of heaven? The integrationist seems to be suggesting this idea. 
And that's why I'm saying that the integrationist is correct on this matter. If a person is struggling with fear and is using medication as their faith answer, I may or may not suggest the end goal, which is their need to live in the practical and functioning truth of a sufficiency of Christ worldview. I may or may not mention that to them, at least in the beginning. It it would depend on where the individual was with God. It would depend on their starting point. In my more novice days, I have said right from jump, the person on medication, well, you just need to be trusting God. Can you imagine how unkind and harsh that is? And so I would not scold any person for using medication. I need to get to know them. I mean, honestly, minimally, I would rejoice in a person that wants to feel better. I mean, who doesn't want to feel better? I would celebrate with the mother of the gay child who wants her child to walk in holiness. Those are good desires to feel better. To want your child to walk in holiness? I'm glad both of them have these great desires, and I don't want them to stop desiring them ever. But where I would want to go with them is to help them to mature to where these good desires are not controlling them. I would not teach them that these desires are wrong the integrationist is correct. We have desires. Because that would be wrong. Honestly, it's bizarre, if not crazy, to teach that these is, do you not want to feel better? Do you not want your child? I mean, you want to vanquish those? Now, with that said, I would say that the biblical counselor and the integrationist are correct based on the quotes that this lady is giving me. But it's a matter of order and priority as to what is most significant. But even with the right priority, I will have days when I weep like a baby because things continue to be the way they are. But here's the thing. If in your heart of hearts that you know that Christ is your all in all, then you're okay. Even if you have a day where your desires are controlling you. If this were happening with with anyone... In addition to me, I would weep with that person who is crying because I know that that person has their priorities correct, 1A, 1B. Christ is preeminent in their lives, but they are having a bad day, and I know that joy will come back in the morning because they have their priorities correct. They're just having a bad day. But that is not who they are. It is an episode, not a pattern in their life. God gave us desires And he means them to be good. And he will provide us with the desires of our hearts, the good ones, that is, sometimes, though not always. The Lord does keep his mysterious reasons for not providing all them, all of our desires, but that's okay. He's good still, even if I don't get my desires. But the attempt to defeat all desires because they are not needs, as we PC people, biblical counseling people like to say. It's wrong-headed, which is why I just I don't focus too much on them, this weird interplay between needs and desires and, and how some 
People talk about them. To desire is a God-given gift. May we never stop wanting and wishing and desiring and hoping and dreaming and imagining. I do, I do this every day with our ministry with no exceptions for 12 years running. But again, it comes back to order. Are my desires controlling me? Not have I vanquished them. But here is the caveat for overthinkers. It would be unwise to delve into your good desires thinking you want something for the wrong reason, for impure motives. You may get lost in your head if you are an overthinker. Let me give you an example. And this is the example I use is my wife coming home and and me treating her unkindly when she arrives. Is it a great desire to treat her well? Of course it is. Is it, a, is it a godly desire? Of course it is. Do I have impure motives? May I be honest? Of course I do. I'm a fallen human. I know that if I'm unkind to her, things will go badly for me, for her, for the children. It will set a tone that I don't want in our home. But if I treat her nicely, I'll have a better day. She'll have a better day. We'll all have a better day, and the dog will be happy. Honestly, I don't get hung up on the granular impurities of my good, bad desires. Again, I'm fallen. But the question is, the question is, what is the overarching desire of my life? Which do my heart, my friends, and my family affirm? And it is this, that Christ is my all in all. Now, I have to find rest in this wretched old body until my Christ delivers me to where there will be no more impurity in my imperfect thoughts. Paul talked about it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's coming a day when we will be guiltless and we will have pure motives but if you try to eradicate all of them, no, just live in 1A, 1B. Christ is preeminent. And yeah, I live in a fallen body, but I'm not controlled by that. Unfortunately, too many counselors are average in that they are not able to think outside of their training, which binds them to their trainers, and it disconnects them from spirit-illuminated engagement and growth. I've been meditating a lot lately on this idea of original intelligence versus classical intelligence. My biblical counseling historical hero is David Pallison. He was the maestro at both classical intelligence and original intelligence. Classical intelligence is what you get in school and is more connected to theory, which is what this lady's professor was saying. Original intelligence is your unique ability, the unique ability of the individual who can think in their unique way that leads to favor from God and redemptive help for others. David Pallison was the master at taking in classical sanctification theory and wordsmithing it in his unique and profound way. Most people, unfortunately, only have classical intelligence, what they learned in school, and so they all sound like parrots in an echo chamber. I mean, it's that reality is one reason I don't read a lot of biblical counseling books. After a while, they all seem to say about the same thing, blending, amounting to nothing more than good reminders, but not provocative in a biblical way. Jesus provoked you as he took the same old, same old Old Testament that everybody regurgitated and shared and said it differently 
Pallison was similar to this. I love reading from folks who have that voice, their voice, that is not like any other. It is them. It is who they, it is who they are. They have original intelligence. They are not parrots, but they, they don't stray, because this, this is what people are going to immediately think. They don't stray outside biblical norms and expectations, yet they communicate in a way that does not sound like the classroom or the last person that they heard. This kind of person also makes the best discipler because he or she knows how to take the broad and deep classical knowledge and contextualize it to the unique person sitting in front of them. Now, this post that this lady has written out, this tension that she's wrestling with between integrationists and the biblical counselor, a classical, intelligent person will immediately dismiss the integrationist as though there's nothing they could possibly say that could ever be correct. This lady's not doing that. She has original intelligence. She can think outside the box, and this will serve her in real life helping others. As long as original thinkers listen humbly, question humbly, but not so quick to take things at face value, they will continue to grow this unique gift that fits their customized selves. And of course, they live in a community that has the courage and grace to help them stay within biblical parameters. Original thinkers are rare which is why I miss David Pallison so much. Thank you so much for the episode. I trust this is beneficial. If you want to talk, let me know, and you can jump on our forums, and we would love to serve you. Episode 230. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.